Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Aubrey, thanks for joining on the show. We welcome you back for another episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Now, I am joined by what we call the godfather of the longevity movement for a How to End Aging special episode, which is going to be jam-packed full of experience and insights from your scientific studies and work over your career. So let's get straight back into it then. I would love to know, I mean, this is a very broad and obvious question, but it would be remiss of me not to ask the master himself, how do we end aging? So the body is a machine. It's a really, really complicated machine, but it's still a machine, which means that its function is determined by its structure. And the goal here is to preserve and maintain the body's function, both mental and physical. So what that means is all we have to do is preserve the structure, which is to say we need to ensure that the molecular and cellular composition and structure of the body is to a fair approximation, maintained as something like how it is in young adulthood, in early adulthood. Now, in order to do that, we have to do two things. We have to characterize what the differences are in molecular and cellular structure and composition between, a, let's say, a 25-year-old body and a 55-year-old body. And then we have to figure out, for each of those differences that we find, a way to reverse their differences, which essentially means repairing the damage, the self-inflicted damage that is being done year on year. Now, the reason why this whole paradigm has any kind of legs, has any kind of chance of being implemented, is because it turns out that even though we have many, many different types of damage that the body does to itself, they can be classified into a relatively manageable number of categories, just seven categories, and this classification is defined in terms of the repair strategy. In other words, within, it, within any one category, we have maybe a lot of different examples of types of damage in different organs and different parts of the body, but they can all be repaired by broadly the same approach. For example, cell loss. So cells dying and not being automatically replaced by cell division. That happens in various places around the body and it causes various different aspects of aging. And yet, all of them, in principle, can be repaired by stem cell therapy, by putting cells into the body that we've prepared in the lab into the right state so that they know what they're supposed to do. We inject them, they divide and differentiate to replace the cells that the body is not replacing on its own. And different stem cell therapies for different organs have differences, but they also have a huge amount in common, which means that once we've got one or two of them working well, then getting the next one working and the one after that will be much easier and faster simply because we can reuse all the expertise that we already learn. So that's why it's all manageable. And at the moment, it, the good news is that for all of the seven categories I'm talking about and all of the damage repair modalities, great progress is being made and that progress is undoubtedly accelerated. So uh, for some of them, we're already in clinical trials. I mean, when I say we, I mean the community overall, not just Centre Research Foundation. We don't do so. We don't do that late stage. We only work on the early stage stuff. And some a, a number of them that are not in clinical trials yet will be so within the next year or two. So things are moving pretty fast now. So what is your biggest challenge, like getting in the way of, of solving the longevity problem? 
I would say that at this point, the challenges are gradually crumbling, but there is still a challenge of having enough financial resources to get the work done. Five years ago, eight years ago, that was undoubtedly the far and away biggest challenge. And to some extent, it has diminished because some of these damage repair approaches have progressed in terms of their proof of concept to a sufficient point where they have become attractive to investors as opposed to donors. In other words, people who actually want to make money back in the form of the time. And that is huge because investors, to put it bluntly, they write bigger checks than donors do on average. And that means that the projects get better funded, in fact, sufficiently well funded, that to a fair approximation, the financial limitations cease to be the rate limiter. The rate limiter becomes what it ought to be, namely the actual difficulty of the technology. But the thing is that, as I say, this is a divide and conquer strategy. We've got to address all of these types of damage. And some of them are not quite that far along yet. They are still at the point where they can't be invested in and we need to continue to support them with philanthropy. And of course, that means that they are insufficiently supported. So we definitely still have that problem. Now, the other problems really come down to public acceptance of the importance of all of this. That feeds back in a rather insidious way. So you might think, well, okay, when these therapies come along, no problem, everyone's going to want them, which is true. But getting there involves making it possible for all of the players, all of the vested interests of the people who matter to be satisfied. And for example, one huge thing that is really still only partly solved is the regulatory hurdle, the fact that aging is considered by society to be so distinct from diseases that it's hard to have a regulatory agency like the Food and Drug Administration actually approve a drug for it or a therapy for it, whether it's a cell therapy or whatever. And that, of course, feeds back into a chilling effect on the companies that might otherwise be more incentivized to, um, you know, to throw money into investment into the uh, development of such therapies in the first place. So we're working on all of these things to try to break down these bottlenecks and lubricate the entire pipeline from concept all the way to the clinic. The scientific process of uh, you know solving a problem like aging is basically trying to answer as many questions as you possibly can. What would you say is the best or hardest question you still just haven't been able to ask or answer yet? Well, actually, your premise is wrong. Probably the most important thing about and the, the most important attraction of the damage repair paradigm is precisely that it sidesteps a whole number of questions, a whole bunch of them. If you are repairing damage, then you don't need to slow down the rate at which damage is generated in the first place. If you do slow it down, then of course you need to repair the damage a little less often, but it's the same therapy. So it doesn't really matter whether you slow it down or not. And that's huge, because it turns out that if you don't need to slow it down, you don't need to understand what's going on. You don't need to understand anything really about the process by which the body generates damage in the first place. And that is really hard to understand. In fact, this is the main reason why we needed the damage repair paradigm in order to have a prayer of doing anything about aging in the foreseeable future. If the only thing we could do is slow down the creation of damage, we would be a very large, very much longer time away from success. Actually, the same applies at the other process, the late life process where damage generates pathology. Again, 
damage doesn't generate pathology unless there is too much of it, unless there is more than this threshold level that the body is set up to tolerate. So if we're repairing the damage periodically and stopping it from getting to that threshold, we don't need to understand what happens after it gets to that threshold. So actually, it's really important to understand that we don't need to understand these things. Now, to answer your question then, all I can really say is it's all niggly little technical details now. All of these therapies, these therapeutic modalities are very much robust. You know, people are pretty sure they're going to work. The only question is how soon, and that involves just a lot of tinkering, like any pioneering technology does. And I think that's literally taking the words out of my mouth, which is my final question, which is what are your horizons? What are your current predictions in the scientific community about when we might be able to, I mean, I guess even just see the first thousand year old person. Well, we won't see the first thousand year old person. For well, yeah, that was a stupid question, wasn't it? <laughs> but actually, you know, it's quite useful that you said the question that way, because people often forget this. A lot of the concerns that people have about a post-aging world arise from the imagination that we will suddenly, like that, have a world in which almost everybody is ridiculously old chronologically, even if nobody's old biologically. And of course, that's not going to be true, because we only get older at one year per year. And all of the changes in uh, you know, demographic structures and so on that we will see will come along very, very gradually. But in terms of when all of this will happen, so to ask the question in the way that I think you intended to ask it, the first question is, when will we reach the point where, for practical purposes, aging has been defeated? In other words, when we are not necessarily repairing 100% of all the damage, but we are approaching that ideal fast enough to be able to stay one step ahead of the problem and keep people below the threshold level of damage that would make them sick, however long ago they were born. And I believe we have a 50% chance of getting there within about 15 years from now, which is pretty soon, really. Of course, it's pioneering technology. Anything that's even 15 years away, that's extremely speculative. So there's at least a 10% chance that we won't get there for 100 years. But who gives a damn? You know, if it's 50% chance is quite enough to be worth fighting for. However, actually, I want to give a second answer, which is more apposite, really, what people ought to be thinking about, which is not when will these therapies arrive and keep it useful forever? Rather, when will society begin to realize that that milestone is coming? The reason why that's important is because that will determine how long any individual thinks they're going to live. And that, if you think about it, is really important. It determines rather major, you know, big ticket selling things like, um, you know, what kind of insurance policies you want, whether it's health insurance, life insurance, inheritance arrangements, you know, Pensions, all of these things are going to change, and they're going to change pretty much overnight, because there's a huge herd mentality component here. Uh, when you know the day Oprah Winfrey and her counterparts around the world start coming out and saying, you know, this is actually going to happen, this is all going to happen just very, very suddenly, and that's when the turbulence is going to happen. You know, not when the therapies arrive. So I believe that that point where people are going to widely anticipate this is very much closer. Could be as little as three or five years away. Because again, it all depends really on how gung-ho, how optimistic a very small number of people, me and my friends, you know, in the top of the gerontology community, decide that they can publicly be. Once the centre of gravity of what we say publicly becomes sufficiently optimistic, game over. Aubrey, thank you so much. This has been enlightening and brilliant. My pleasure.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at your heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how healthy your brain is, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain health to get your free score from one to a hundred. See you next time. Thank you.